Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Kenneth Tanner. Kenneth is a pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He writes for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. Ken, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, brother, what's happening? Hey, nothing much. Just rolling into, I'm hoping spring is coming soon. You know, it's uh, pretty windy here in greater Philadelphia. And we're coming up on Transfiguration Sunday. So this is interesting because the lectionary texts are, are sort of all geared around that. And the first text is Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. Here we got Moses coming down from Mount Sinai, and he's got the tablets of the covenant in his hand. And when they saw him, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near to him. Uh, so then he, uh, he, when he had finished speaking with him, he puts a veil on his face. So it's very interesting, right? He's, uh, you know, and, and then they say when they'd see him, you know, regularly after that, I guess he, he would put the veil back on his face, uh, you know, so I guess so they weren't freaked out or something. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what happens when uh, the human being is transfigured um, in the image of its maker? Uh, we're, you know, none of us have seen that, but um, it's, it's veiled from our sight. But when we, uh, when we encounter the one who made us, there's something that happens. I mean, it, hard to describe the, the writer here is just describing that the, that there's a face, the, sh- the face is shining with, uh, you know, the fathers would say the uncreated light, um, that, uh, where the father dwells, you know, it's not, uh, it's not a light that is, uh, coming from the sun or the, the stars or reflect, you know, it's not, it's not a reflected light. It's not a created light, but, uh, but uh, the uncreated. Yeah, it's interesting too. This Hebrew noun here, Karen, often means horn, and mm-hmm. and it's the. I think the only other occurrence of the verb is in Psalm sixty nine thirty one, where it means to display horns. And yeah, yeah. It's, so you it's have it, Michelangelo and all that. Yeah, it's it's interesting in Habakkuk though uh, three four. It says the brightness was like the sun, and the same word, the rays came forth from his hand where his power lay hidden. So it's this, it's almost like horns would come out from a beast, but also rays would come out. Like it's, 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 it's not just light, it's light that goes out, right? Yes, yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's that, um, I think, Desert Father who says that, um, if you will, you can be all fire. And the, 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 the fire, uh, the, the, the tongues of fire appear on his, uh, fingertips. Um, and then you have Lot's wife, pillar of salt by day, ball of fire by night. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very, you know, it, 
it speaks of uh, transformation, you know. Um, Moses has, you know, uh, been in the presence of of God, speaking to God, and um, it's something that the people um, the people see, you know. Um, and it's something that is so startling that you know, obviously, he has to he has to keep this veil on his face because it's too much for uh it's too much for the people you know it's like i guess that that difference is enough just like it it might be for someone with leprosy or whatever um you know that it's too much for people to to look at and maintain composure you know um it's uh it's aston- it's astonishing yeah and what the interesting thing to me is is that he how Moses seems to be unaware of it, right? Like he, right. you know, the people are are kind of freaked out by it, but Moses himself really doesn't have this sense that you know. I mean, he doesn't know what's going on. He has to put this veil on because yeah, people are kind of weirded out, but he's kind of unaware of the whole phenomenon, which is so intriguing. Yeah, and this is the second. This is after the calf, right? He's gotten, he's broken the tablets of the law. And, um, and when he came down the first time and, um, they, the, the Israelites are worshiping the golden calf. And, um, this time, the second time that he comes down with the second set of tablets is when his face is shining. I don't think it says anything about his face shining the first time he came down. No, it doesn't. And it's interesting, too, I find that in Exodus 33, immediately preceding, right, that he's told that he couldn't see God's glory because it would kill him. And then Mm -hmm. he's dwelling in the presence of God, and he actually, it it seems that this light shines through him, or, you know, it's it's, it's shining around him. So it's very interesting, right, that, that you have these kind of things that seem to be in some kind of almost tension here there's a tendency i think sometimes in christianity to downplay the law and to um sort of put too much of dichotomy between the revelation that we have of god in the hebrew scriptures and the revelation that comes in the flesh of jesus uh and i and i think texts like this tell us that we need to be careful about that in the sense that there is something about the glory of God, and the psalmist tells us this too, that that is revealed in the giving of this particular set of commands, you know? And, um, you know, I've said it, I mean, I'm not the only one who said, of course, but, you know, there is something very illuminating something very positive, something very beautiful about those two tablets. And, you know, if the world were governed, really, if we, if humanity decided to live by those, um, you know, there would be a transfiguration of all of our faces. And, you know, obviously what we learn in the New Testament is that, you know, the reason God comes in the flesh is that we're incapable of keeping even these very simple 
commands. But the, but if we were able to have the mind of Christ and the mind of God and to live in the way that he instructs here, the whole world would experience transfiguration. But Yeah, the, and I, th- I think it's interesting because the law is good, and yet it's it's powerless to provide what it demands, right? So like if the law, if the fundamental essence of the law is to love God and love everything God's made, then it, we realize, right, it's only God's redemptive love and his grace that engenders that in us. So it's like, it's, it's only, only God's grace can provide what the law requires of us. And I wonder if that's kind of, you know, I mean, the, the thing about like Calvin talks about in the Institutes, you know, that you could start a project like his with either knowledge of God or knowledge of self, because true knowledge of self or true knowledge of God will lead one to the other. But the challenge is to know yourself in light of God's light and love can be painful, right? (laughs) Because of what we see there. And yet it also can be life-giving and illuminating, right? Like, And so I wonder if these two things in 33 and 34 are, are two different ways in which uh, the power of God can either kill or make alive, uh, you know, depending on our, our, depending on how the light and how the glory presence hits us, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's a long, that's a long subject. Uh, but um, I, I'm I I tend to um the to look at at Christ and to think about God in light of him and to to read the Old Testament and death and, and you know in light of the person of Jesus so I um I know that the Old Testament um is constantly telling us that God kills. I'm, 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 I'm very skeptical about that in light of the person of Christ. So, yeah, right. Because Hebrew says that He's spoken most clearly to us in His Son. That that's yeah. the that's the unambiguous revelation. Yeah, and then we have we go on in the next reading to Second Corinthians uh, three verses twelve through four two, where we have Paul kind of interpreting this passage, right, saying that we have this hope and we act with boldness, not like Moses put a veil on his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside, and he talks about how uh, that when the law of Moses is read, a veil. It kind of lies over the hearer's mind, but when one turns to the Lord, he's thinking, Lord Jesus, the veil is removed, and the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as they're reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So it seems like he's he's saying that he's not diminishing Moses, but he's saying that something like there's a difference because this... Uh, presence is that God has brought in Christ is different. It's more enduring. It's more permanent. And, and it makes things clearer uh, that the veil and, and, is removed. And, yeah. The veil is removed here when Christ and spirit are present. Someone greater than Moses, you know, yeah. has, has appeared. And what, what, what is happening um, is just like some of the fathers say that, the the divine nature um has so infused i mean it, it infuses the flesh of jesus um and that it's like like a fire and metal you know 
and, um, you know, without division, without confusion. And, um, and so Moses was a human being on whom the un, the hidden, uncreated light of the Father, um, was reflected. But Jesus, um, as is, you know, um, Paul's trying to tell us, and of course, we don't want to get too far ahead to the gospel reading, but I mean, he's trying to explain to us here that um, now in Christ, we see this glory um, on the, uh, you know, on the face of Christ, um, as he says um, elsewhere. And um, as we see, we see um, in, in human flesh now, God is resonant. Um, that's not Moses. That's Christ. Um, and because this human being, um, is so suffused with the glory of God, is God, uh, now humanity, uh, can be transfigured in the same way. He take the one human nature that is transfigured, um, uh, you know, in, in the, in the person of Jesus. Uh, we, we now, we, the rest of us human beings, uh, can participate in this from glory to glory, um, and from degree to degree. Um, and, and so we've been given the capacity not only to look on the glory of God, um, but by grace to, um, partake in the divine nature and to, um, to live as God lives, um, to, uh, live in the way that he instructed by the power of the, he instructed the Israelites by the power of the spirit, because there's a human being, um, uh, who is God. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that Paul is saying that the way that this glory unto glory manifests itself. I love what Jonathan Edwards says, right? Grace is, but glory begun and glory is, but grace completed. Uh, this glory is more powerful. I mean, clearer, right? Like the fullest picture of God's glory and revelation is here in Christ. And yet it's more hidden in the sense of when the veil comes off, it, it's power is in weakness. Like people look sure. at Moses and they're like, whoa, you're, you're, you're shining so much that you're freaking us out. And people are looking at Paul and challenging his authority <laughs> and saying, wow, I mean, really, you're that we got these guys that call themselves the super apostles and they seem to be the real glorious ones. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. Like the way that this glory is manifest is in this weakness, you know, is in the, is in this humility. And yet that's more powerful and clearer. No doubt. And, and something that of course we, you know, um, can I, can identify with um, weakness and um, humility, um, and so it, it it gives us uh, the the cross, um, you know, get, gives us a a way of understanding and participating in this glory um, that uh, you know c- can begin with you know first of all being human, absolutely. And then we have on to the gospel reading, we have the transfiguration from Luke, from Luke's account of it, which is in Luke, the ninth chapter. And it's different, I think, because here in Luke, 
this happens, he says, like about eight days after, right? About uh, after the confession of Peter. Whereas in the other gospels, I think it comes like six days or something. So that's very, it's kind of curious. Yeah. Um, and the resurrection is on the eighth day, which is interesting, right? The day after Yeah. Sunday, I so. mean, so I, you know, is Luke referring to the, um, the new creation? Um, is this, um, certainly this, the moment that's being described is a moment that takes place in, um, the new creation, just like, um, we participate in the new creation, um, at our altars on Sundays. So this is a, one of the, it's definitely one of those kinds of moments that's both in its particular setting, um, in its particular moment, in its particular time, but it's participating in something that transcends, um, the chronos, right? It's, um, it's a, yeah, there's a Kairos that's happening here in the middle of chronos. So, yeah. And what's, what I think is noteworthy here is that or one of the things that is, is that he is transfigured, right? Jesus. And, and you have Moses and Elijah, right? The law and the prophets, right? The, the great figures of the law and prophets talking with him. They appear in glory and we're speaking of his departure, which in the Greek is his exodus. Exodus. Yeah. Right. So, uh, which he was about to accomplish at Going away. Jerusalem, right? And, and Leaving. then, his companions, Peter, James, and John, kind of the inner circle, they are weighed down with sleep, and yet they're awake and they see it. And Peter says, you know, it's good here. Let's make these, you know, dwellings, three three of them, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and, and this will be great. We'll stay on the mountain here. And it it's clear that, you know, when the narrator says, not knowing what he had said, Peter is kind of still missing it here, right? That th- There's a sense in which... That's not what uh, the destiny is, and that, in fact, would that would mean putting a roadblock in the way of the, the world's redemption. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, you know the parallels are you know to Sinai are there. Um, you know you you've got um, you you have a mountain and you have this great cloud um and um i i've always this is such a beautiful story to me because moses and elijah um appear these aren't like phantasms they're not like Mm -hmm. they haven't ordered up some actors out of i don't know that this is moses and elijah and they continue to exist after they should not. And um, they're speaking to Christ, talking to him, which which says that they have tongues to speak. And um, so it, it, it really is a vision of, um, you know, we're, we're, the place where God dwells, where all flesh is is raised and and alive, and and to to you know, I'm I'm you know, in the conversation, you know, with the um, I think it's the Sadducees in the Gospels. You know, I'm I am I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. And so, 
I think we can miss that sometimes and just not recognizing what's happened because we over-spiritualize it. Um, and I mean, there's plenty of reason to do that, but at the same time, um, they're seeing something here that, that really shouldn't be happening. I mean, um, Moses and Elijah, um, should not, you know, by all human understanding of the way the world works, shouldn't be alive and talking to Christ, not at this moment. And yet there they are. And, um, it's really them. And, uh, and of course the discussion is about the cross and the discussion is about what it means to be truly transfigured as a human being. Um, and, and, and that is to, to suffer in order to participate, um, forever in the divine nature. And, and, um, Peter, yeah, he does misunderstand it, but you know, despite our misunderstandings, we all get the opportunity to participate, um, in this and find it out for ourselves by experiencing ourselves, um, what it means to take up the cross and follow the master. Um, so it's interesting too, because the transfiguration is connected with the, the feast of, uh, tabernacles. Tabernacles. Right? Yep. And it's interesting because a lot of Israel's like feasts start, they ha- they originate from some kind of celebrations of nature, religion, right? And tell of the creator and the creation. And then they become mem- remembrances of God's action history. They're taken up, transformed. You know, you can often find parallels in ancient religion and in the ancient Near Eastern religions. But then Israel will take something that is generally often in the sort of nature cycle or something, and it will become something that instead commemorates the mighty acts of God. And then they go on not just remembering God's actions in history, but they become feasts of hope, which look forward to the God who is coming and will renew creation, right? Which, which ultimately then they, they become deepened and refashioned as Jesus is revealed as the face of that hope. So that's, it's, it's very like, this is telling here that, that the hope though can end around the cross. And so his Exodus, the way he will go, you know, you know, the way he will be, his Jesus name will be lifted high among the nations is in his going low and the humiliation that will happen in the journey to Jerusalem. Yeah. The way, the way to, to greatness is, um, through self-sacrificial suffering, um, co-suffering with, um, his fellow brothers and sisters and human flesh. And by our, our participating, um, in that suffering, and, um, and for the life of the world. So, you know, the, the willingness to lay down, um, his life for the life of the world, our, our participation in that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what holds, I mean, you know, if we believe Paul and Colossians, it's this sacrifice. It's this new way of being human. Um, that, um, that holds everything together. That, that, um, holds at the atomic level all of, um, creation together, subatomic level, um, and that, um, and gives everything life is, um, this suffering humility, not, um, as we, you know, are prone to project some kind of collected, 
collective power beyond human imagination. It's, it's, it's God, God's power is revealed in weakness. And, uh, so yeah, it's, yeah, I think, of this, I think of this Frank Lake quote I, that I mention a lot on, on this podcast. <laughs> Who else would it be exactly. besides Frank Lake? Where Frank Lake says that, you know, we have this aversion to get getting the bottom knocked out of our humanity because it will seem to ruin as a container of good things. But he said, you know, we're not meant to be containers, but channels of the life and energy of God himself. So if you get the bottom knocked out of your humanity, it seems to ruin it as a bucket or a container, but it, it makes it perfect to be a channel. And I think that's what uh, God's grace does right we realize that we don't have to be something good in ourselves and it opens us up to be a channel and you know and to be transfigured in ourselves yeah to bear to bear the light um to you to be um the light of the world that's what jesus says you are the light of the world um and uh and 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 that's it and you're exactly right this is where all of this connects, um, and uh, again, the energy. Um, what? Why does he go up? He goes up to pray. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I love how Eugene Peterson translates um, a, a passage earlier in Luke. Um, we respond to our enemies with the energies of prayer. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's, that's, I think in, in prayer, we began to become light, um, to do what Jesus does and to bear light and to bring, yeah, hopefully, um, into all of our connections, relationships and spaces that we are in, we began to, um, reflect and to, yeah. Yeah, and that, and that light is one that can never be controlled or contained. Like, you can't just build a tent and, and contain it. You can only receive it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, this isn't something you're self-generating. I mean, these are th- this is a participation in God's activity, God's energy, um, God's light. You know, it's, it's, it's not of us. It's not of ourselves. It's, uh, it's, it's from Him. Well, my friend, I hope that that light shines through you and all of our listeners uh, this Sunday on Transfiguration Sunday. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Blessings, Scott, as always. Blessings to you, brother. Much love and grace. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe. Or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Ken for being on the podcast and thank you again for listening. And until next time, friends, fair and